you know, I think the biggest thing, and I don't, I don't know if it's like one thing I can put my finger on, but it's like maybe caring less what people think of you, caring less what you put on social media or how many likes you get or things like that. And just really worrying about playing, you know, and I think kids get caught up in how many offers they have, um, you know, putting out their top 10 or their top 20 or, um, you know, what their rankings are on the websites. Like, I think just, just play well, you know, just focus on playing well and the rest will take care of itself. Welcome back to another episode of Up Close in Personnel with Alex Brown. I'm your host, Alex Brown, and we've got another great episode for you this week. And before I talk about our guest, I am excited to announce that Up Close in Personnel broke into the top 100 football podcast ranking at number 99. So we're just squeezing into the top 100 this week. So I want to say shout out to the listeners and subscribers of the show. Keep sharing it with people you know. Keep growing the show and let's get this ball rolling. This week, we had Matt Lindsay join us from the Ole Miss football program, where he was recently hired as the program's first ever general manager. Now, it's the in vogue position. We talk about it a little bit in this podcast. You probably count them on one hand, the number of general managers that have been hired in college football. But Matt is as down to earth as they come. In 2018, he was named the DPP of the year by Football Scoop. And the year before that, he made 24-7's 30 under 30 list. But as we talk about later in the podcast, I followed him on Twitter. He followed me right back. I said, hey, I know you're at the top of the game. I just want to get some advice from you on how you run your department. It was literally within a week we were on the phone and he was just chopping it up with me. So some of Matt's accolades include working at the NFL level as a college scouting coordinator, being a part of three national championship runs at the University of Alabama, and having three consecutive top 25 recruiting classes at South Carolina. During this week's episode, we covered what it takes to be a good evaluator, what it takes to be successful in the recruiting world, Matt's football background, and the art of building a team. From the role of the general manager to what he looks for in his assistants and interns and how he runs his department, this episode is just chock full of incredible advice for people that want to make it in this business. So without wasting any more of your time, here is my conversation with Matt Lindsay. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um... Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. You guys stepped back into the office. Uh, the last couple of, or actually all of the guests on the show so far, we've, we've kind of talked about, hey, what's COVID life look like? And you are the first guest on the show that is able to sit in an office and get back to work. So how different is life post-COVID for you guys? Obviously, we're still in it, but how have things changed so far? Yeah, it's been a weird last couple of days. Um, we've had a lot of educational stuff, uh, meet with our medical staff and our, our facilities team. And um, the building is very different because so many of our meeting rooms we can't meet in and we can't have full capacity. And um, so, you know, all the building, all the offices have signs on them that have, you know, how many people can be in each room and all the chairs are marked off, all the tables are marked off. So like our staff meeting room, we can't meet in there. So we have to meet in our team meeting room and everything's spaced out. 
you know, with however many feet between each seat. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird with, you know, whatever, 30 people spaced out in a hundred person auditorium, but it's been good. It's, it's been really good um, to see everybody face to face, especially for me being new and only having a few weeks kind of in the office before all this happened. Um, it's been good to, to kind of be with our coaches and, and not be doing things over zoom anymore. So, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been nice, but it's been an adjustment. A lot of, a lot of hand sanitizer getting used, uh, having to get used to wearing the face mask when we walk around the building. And, um, but it's been good. That's crazy. And not many people probably know this and we'll get into the connection a little bit later, but I thought it was really, really cool. Talk, you know, we text throughout the year, just kind of talk ball, but I thought it was so cool when you took the job to go to Ole Miss to be the GM, you stayed to onboard Drew when he was taking over in your role. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's probably helped him a bunch. Talk about the challenges of making that switch as far as you onboarding him, but also now you're trying to onboard yourself and you only had those two weeks that were really, we talked about it off air, like that was HR. You didn't really even get a chance to get mm-hmm. the quote-unquote lay of the land yeah I mean I think it's it was difficult and easy at the same time I mean it's from one standpoint it was me trying to do the right thing by my boss Will Muschamp who I have a ton of respect for and I really enjoyed working for and um, also having a lot of respect for Drew Hughes somebody I've known for a decade a good friend of mine and um, so you know anytime you take a new job you really want to get on the ground running and, you know, just get up to speed and you feel like you've got a million things that you want to do. But at that time, it was very important for me to, to kind of stay there. And um, Coach Muschamp was going through uh, hiring some new coaches, interviewing people, and we had just had signing day. And so, you know, there was a lot of stuff still to do. And so I, I felt like it was important to stay there and work with Drew and kind of work hand in hand with him. And then I guess, you know, throughout the course of, I think we were there about a week and a half together. Each day I kind of sat at my desk less and less and let him sit there more. And, and then by the time the last day I was there, I was like, all right, Drew, this is your office now. Go ahead and take over. But it, but it was really good. I mean, and Drew has said this to me before, like, you just don't get that experience. I mean, I, I would love to have had that experience here, you know, where you get a chance to be with the, you know, the person that was here before and kind of see where everything's at. Um, I, I think everybody would like, would benefit from that. but. I think for me and Drew both, it was a very beneficial experience all around. Just to think back in a situation, I, w- I wasn't in the same exact spot, but Adrian Mays was my boss that first year, and he left to take the uh, coaching job over at Texas State. And I was the interim for a two-month period just to get through signing day, make sure that we don't screw up signing Ed Oliver. And everything was already in place. The The wheels on the bus were moving, right? right. And – I think that's the sign of a good organization. You can just kind of plug and chug. But when Derek Chang was hired to take over, first off, it was like the best opportunity for me to learn from somebody who had worked at Ohio State. But the thing that he did was very similar to that, but it was like the reverse. He stepped in and said, okay, I know I'm going to be your boss, but I'm going to sit in your chair for a week and I want to see what you do every single day. And then Mm -hmm. we'll talk about, what we're doing well, what we could improve on, why, and talk through the why behind things. And I think that's so huge um, as far as, like, from a process standpoint, like, I need to be able to explain this to somebody else in, in the situation that you get a, a career-changing opportunity at Ole Miss. But 
having made some calls to a couple of sources that you probably know, uh, I heard Big Pretty was the uh, the nickname over at Alabama. So yeah. um, just talk about that whole group. I mean, it's pretty incredible to think about you, Drew Hughes, um, different guys that are now scouting the NFL. How how awesome of an experience was that for you? But uh, <laughs> where'd you get Big Pretty from? <laughs> Yeah, big pretty. Uh, so Kevin Steele, who's the defensive coordinator at Auburn now, he he uh, he came there my last semester. I was in college there. Um, he was the personnel guy for a year, and uh, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit. But for whatever reason, he called me big pretty. I guess it's because I'm big, and I hope it's because I'm pretty. I hope it's not a sarcastic nickname. But uh, yeah, so he gave me that. But no, it was a extremely unique time to be there. Um, and then kind of the further away, I mean, I was, my first year was 2009. Um, so yeah, it's been right, you know, coming on 11 years. And so I think each year that has gone by, you kind of gain new perspective on it. Um, but I think a lot of us would say that we were blessed with proximity, you know, kind of being there and then being at the right place at the right time. Um, having a guy, um, like Ed Manowitz, who was there running the recruiting department. Uh, having a guy like him who had a lot of vision, um, a lot of work ethic, and was not that much older than us um, that could teach us things and, and show us the way and, and spend time with us and um, make working in personnel fun. I think for most of us, when we got into it, there wasn't a huge market for personnel, recruiting evaluators in college football. I mean, I think we all thought, okay, we'll have to go to the NFL, we'll have to be a scout we just didn't see a whole lot of opportunity to work in college football. And very quickly we learned that, Hey, these jobs are going to start existing more and more. Um, Drew got out of there. He, he got a um, job at central Florida was his first job. And I was like, wow, there's kind of some light at the end of the tunnel here. And then uh, Marshall Malco, who's now at Texas A&M, um, he got a job at Boise state, you know, kind of an entry level job, not making a lot of money, but it was exciting for us to be there. And, and then there's numerous other guys. I mean, several people working in the NFL, um, Cody Rager at the Saints, you know, Wes Slay at the Titans. Um, and, and just it's kind of unique to have 10, 12 guys that were all in office together that are all working in the NFL or major college football. But at the time, we probably didn't think that would all happen. It was just it's more of a pipe dream at that point. I think looking back on it, too, is and I tell I tell the interns here that you're going to learn more from each other than you probably ever learned from me. And so I, I think a lot of what we, what we did was we pushed each other. Um, you know, we would do stuff together. We would do scout schools together. We watch guys. Hey, what do you think about this guy? Well, why do you think he's this way? Well, um, so it, it was good. And we learned a ton from each other. I, I think that's, it's so indicative of doing the lonely work and, developing the the love for the thing instead of like focusing on the end goal you guys were just pushing each other and I felt the same way when I was coming up and I think that's where it, why interning in a college football program is so beneficial because you're going to get a chance to learn so much and talking with some of those guys that that you've worked with the thing that when I asked them okay what sets them apart as an evaluator because obviously you've got to be a good evaluator to be in the position you're in right now uh, they, the real thing that they kept going back to is like you, you grind the tape, you've got a work ethic like nobody else. And 
you have fun with it, but at the end of the day, you're going to watch more film than the next guy. And that allows you to have a Rolodex of players that the catalog can go through and say, okay, he reminds me of X player and that player didn't work out because of X, Y, or Z. Could you go into detail on maybe not just the value of building a catalog of players that you can compare guys to, but really what goes into making a good evaluator? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely practice and it's definitely building a catalog just through hours away. It's the Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours, you know, for, I'll speak for me personally. Um, my first entryway into working in football was actually working in the weight room in Alabama. So my first fall there, 2009, my freshman year, I was working in the weight room and I gained such a better vision and appreciation for what players could do physically, um, seeing them bend, seeing them move, you know, seeing them lift weights and, and then seeing all these guys work out and then spilling over into practice and then into games and saying, okay, like, that's what makes this guy more explosive. Okay, this guy's more flexible. He can bend. He can come out of his hips. That's what makes him a better D lineman. That's what makes this receiver a better route runner. So, like, seeing them in person up close, it's like that's where it's kind of a light bulb aha moment for me was like, okay, these are the physical characteristics that the good players have. And then these are the, the ones that don't play, the ones that aren't as good. They're, they're not at – as good in these areas as these guys that do play. And so from then on, that was a really good foundation for me to build as an evaluator. And then obviously, you know, kind of moving out of the weight room and then work, starting to work in recruiting and going up there and watching tape and things. Coach Saban, just philosophy-wise, you know, the foundation that I got from that in terms of having critical factors that you look for in each position, you know, certain height, weight, length, um, parameters that you're looking for, speed parameters, um, you know, putting words to all of those things. Um, that was huge. And, and it was something that I probably took for granted at the time, because then as a scout going out to other places, seeing how other programs do it, you realize, oh, not everybody really talks in terms of critical factors and, and height, weight, length. And that, that was one thing foundationally that I think was really good for me was being there. And, and hearing the language and hearing the way they talked. Was that something you were able to even build a build more on when you went to the league? I mean, was it more of the same because you were with Ed still? Um, mm -hmm. Was it kind of more of the same? It was more building on what I learned, kind of taking, taking that and then graduating it into another level of verbiage. And my first year in the league, working with the pro scouting department where you're um, really watching a lot of pro players, um, writing up um, advanced reports for teams and, and working more with the coaches. You learn a whole lot more um, about ball, offensive, defensive side, um, special teams, learning how to write up kickers, punters, snappers, core teams, guys. Um, you know, and then on top of that, one thing that I probably wasn't as good at coming from college and then going to the NFL was like learning how to to put guys through a workout, you know, whether, whether it's at a pro day or whether it's a free agent, putting those kind of things on and learning how to do that. That was kind of another skill that I had to add to my bag um, over, over the course of my time in the NFL. 
um, which then transitioned to help me more going back to college. So yeah, I, I think you you know this better than anybody. During uh, recruiting camps, obviously it sucks that we don't have them this year, but we're we're more uh, focused and busy running around with our heads chopped off, making sure we get all the forty times and uh, eval notes to our coaches than uh, actually putting them through the workout. So I'm sure that was a big transition for you from your time with Alabama, from your time at South Carolina, and mm-hmm. now being at Ole Miss, I just haven't worked with those guys that long, but you, you had a relationship with Lane Kiffin. Who's the best recruiter you've been around? Or you could throw out a couple of them, but who's the best recruiter you've been around and why? I mean, I think from, from Alabama, um, I mean, you know, there was a lot of good recruiters there and they got a lot of good players, uh, but, you know, some of the ones that come to mind are, you know, Kirby Smart, um, Jeremy Pruitt, and Sal Sinceri. Those, those, those guys were, were detailed. They were relentless. Um, they were very intentional with how they recruited. And that's when you start picking up things like, you know, you hear people talk about figuring out who the champion is, you know, and who, who, who do you need to go after? Is it the mom? Is it the dad? Is it the high school coach? you know, figuring out ways to target and brand your program to fit um, what the kid was looking for, you know, whether he was interested in this area of study, whether he was, whatever it may be. And this was really before social media, graphics, all that stuff had blown up. So you kind of had to figure out fun ways to present information and do things on official visits and unofficial visits that that wasn't really necessarily the norm at the time. Now, now all this stuff, as you know, is standard practice and kids are getting personalized graphics all the time and you know but but at the time it was uh it was fun kind of being there with those guys because they were just so dedicated to to getting those players and developing good relationships and uh and there's a reason those first two guys I mentioned there's a reason those two guys are head coaches now and um have a loyal following of all the players they've recruited in the past so um those two guys were good at South Carolina a lot of good recruiters, man. I mean, I think it starts with the head coach. He was he was a relentless recruiter. Um, I mean, that's kind of his hobby. You know, he he doesn't really play golf. He doesn't do a whole lot of things. He he goes home and he he's got his little flip card of uh, he's got a little small copy of the board. And he he recruits guys, man. He he texts them, he calls them, he develops relationships probably better than anybody as a head coach, and uh, he stays on top of it. And then. Uh, man, we had a lot of good coaches there that, you know, Tavares Robinson, our D coordinator and DB's coach, um, unbelievable guy in terms of relationships and, and getting in it with kids that we probably didn't think we had a shot at and uh, flipping guys late. And, you know, there's nobody I'd rather have in my corner than T-Rob a week out from signing day. So um, he was really good. And then here, it's been good to be around this staff. I mean, I think uh, it's still early, but I mean, I think out of the 10 coaches we have, we got a lot of good recruiters here. So. Um, that's what's been fun and exciting so far uh, from getting here. Yeah, and just to brag on one of your guys, uh, I only worked with him for like a month and a half, but Blake Gideon mm-hmm. was like you use the word relentless. That's the the common trait. Like you've got to want it more than somebody else. And what are you doing to separate yourself as far as influences? You kind of mentioned in passing, but would you say the the guys in that recruiting assistant? kind of locker room that you came up with at Alabama? Were those your biggest influences as far as who you are as a recruiter? Or is there someone in particular that's influenced you more? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a guy I mentioned earlier, Ed Manowitz, who who was my boss, first boss at Alabama, and then we worked together at the Eagles, and he's now working for CAA. But I mean, he's a guy that's been like an older brother to me. He's uh, he's instilled a lot of good qualities in me. He's taught me how to work. Uh, he taught me better attention to detail. Um, taught me how to deal with people better. I mean, he is. He has shown me a lot, and a lot of it's probably been through example. You know, he he sets a really good example for the people that work for him. So I, I've learned a lot from him, and I owe him a lot of uh, my success. And you know, any any job opportunities I've get had have kind of been through him. So I owe a lot of credit to him. And then yeah, all those guys I mentioned before, Drew, Marshall, Wes, Cody. I mean, all those guys, I've learned a lot from them. And they're all friends. And you know, Marshall Malco at Texas A&M is a guy that I talk to on a pretty regular basis. And he's, he's easily been the guy the last 10 years that I've probably talked to the most. And I think it's good to have somebody like that. That's, that's kind of your peer and it's kind of going through the same things that you're going through work-wise and, and you can bounce ideas off of and you can talk to. And it's been invaluable to have a relationship like that with him, but, but all the other guys too. I mean, it's, to have people that truly are your friends that are going through the same type of things as you. Um, it, it's a tremendous resource to have. So would you say from a, a learning perspective and, and developing your craft, you focus more on peer to peer, like guys that are in it and at the same level as you, you feel like you learn more from those guys. And obviously Ed's very, very critical, someone that you probably talk to a bunch as well. But as far as your process for learning and, and developing your craft how do you do that yeah well for my mindset with kind of learning and growth is what I refer to as plus minus and equal and I always like to make sure I have a good mix of all of them so um, having somebody that's an older person a mentor that 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 person is Ed and I have a few other people in my life that Having, having somebody that's kind of ahead of you, that's been through it, that's kind of an older mentor type, having that type of person in your life. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, having your peers in your life, um, you know, the people that are kind of on your level, going through the same things. But then also having people that are below you, your, you know, my interns, the recruiting staff, um, learning things from them. And so I think it's important to have a good mix of those three levels to learn and to grow as an employee, as a leader. You know, one of the things I've done in the past with my interns um, at the places I've been is get them to come up with a topic that they're interested in and teach the group more about it. And, And I learn a lot from those things too. It's not just for them to learn. It's for me to learn whether it's, you know, we, we have somebody that's really into, analytics and track times and and doing things with tracking football have him teach okay what's important what have you learned from studying this stuff what you know have them put together a powerpoint presentation i think it's it's a beneficial exercise for them but it's also something i get a lot of out of and i think the rest of the the staff gets a lot out of and so i've always had them do stuff like that and then also from a peer-to-peer standpoint um we, we're not going to do it this year, obviously, but three years prior, we've done a beach trip in the summer in Hilton Head where we've got a lot of people together over the country, kind of everybody come together and do chalk talks, clinic sessions, and speak about different areas in personnel, whether it's evaluation, recruiting, um, leadership, 
um, where we get together and share ideas. And, and uh, so that, that's been a really beneficial thing too. We actually did a zoom call with our Hilton head crew last week and uh, got everybody back together since we're not going to get together this summer. But yeah, I think it's invaluable to do those kind of things to really push yourself and grow in this field. I think that's, I'm totally going to steal that with my guys as far as letting them clinic and letting them go through something that they're passionate about. I think that's awesome. Did, did Ed start that at Alabama with you guys? We, we did. I mean, we kind of started doing that. Honestly, we started doing a little bit of it on our own, just trying to get together and come up with ideas. And, um, yeah, it may have been something simple like making a cut up of, of NFL tight ends and seeing what they look like. Or, um, I remember Ed, Ed was the first person who came up with this idea that I'd heard of was, you know, go through the first round picks and find all their high school tape, which 11 years ago was a lot harder to find, but <laughs> find all their high school tape and then watch that and see what these guys look like as high school players. Um, but yeah, little things like that, I, mean, I think go a long way and help, you know, building that catalog of players and evaluations in your head. So outside of ball, obviously you, you have a, I think that's awesome with the plus equal minus kind of process of having different levels of influence in your own life. But as far as like consuming, like reading, listening, mm-hmm. listening to podcasts, I know you're talking about you're, you're finally able to catch up now that you're in your office. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What have you been watching? Yeah, I think the last, uh, so I've got a 10 month old in the last, you know, 10 months plus is, been a little bit harder to read in terms of just my free time when I get home off work. But, um, you know, I'm a big Ryan holiday guy. Um, you know, his book stillness is the key ego is the enemy um, obstacles the way. Yep. So, that, so those books, you know, really have spoke to me. I mean, I've read them multiple times and I can probably count on one hand, the books that I've read more than once. And that, those are, those are ones that I have, uh, you know, Simon, Simon Sinek leaders eat last things like that. Um, I really enjoy think you know those types of leadership books that are that are practical um, that are as much for your everyday life as they are for your your work life too um, so um, listen to that and then you know listening to just you know pro football talk and Adam Schefter podcast and things kind of keep up with what's going on in the sports world and uh, you know the part of my takes of the world listening to those and then, so yeah just trying little, little, little big cat yep so, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's important to read and I feel bad because I haven't read as much in the last, you know, year or so. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's important to read. I think it's important to grow. I think it's important to, to also just have conversations, you know, push yourself out of your comfort zone, um, talk to other people, you know, ask questions, you know, all that peer to peer stuff that we just talked about. And I think I think that's critical. I mean, I think not just for football, but just in general, no matter what field you work in um, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, I want to know more about kind of your story leading to Alabama and your journey to where you are now from the standpoint of, you know, what got you into football in the first place? Like, when did you fall in love with the game? Like, when did this all start for you? Yeah, I mean, I played football, basketball, baseball, and golf growing up. Um, but football was always kind of the love. Eventually, I outgrew baseball. 
Um, and then I wasn't good at basketball, so that was an easy choice. And then as I got to high school, it was kind of football and then golf were, were the two sports I played. But football was always the passion. Um, and then I think at a young age, you know, probably like middle school age, I really enjoyed the draft, watching the combine. I remember kind of faking sick to stay home and, and watch the combine a few times. Um, this was early on when like the NFL network started, you know, carrying it, doing the full day coverage and everything. And so I think early on there was a fire being stoked of just the whole, a, a love and a passion for player evaluation. It always struck me, you know, why is, why is this guy an all American in college, but he was a seventh round pick or, you know, why'd this guy get picked over this guy? Or what, what makes this guy better than the other? And, you know, I didn't necessarily know at the time, but, but it was always something that I was interested in. And then as I got into later in high school, I kind of thought – I obviously I thought I was going to play football for a long time, and then I kind of get towards the end of my high school career and realize, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. So, um, Sign of a good scout. Right. So, uh, so, so I, I knew I wanted to work in football. And like we mentioned before, I mean, there wasn't like – there wasn't these huge recruiting staffs. There wasn't a whole lot of people. I mean, there may have been, you know, a high school relations coach or person on staff or – there may have been a, a receivers coach was the recruiting coordinator. I mean, that's how it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And so knowing that I wanted to get into college recruiting or scouting, that, that kind of thing, that wasn't necessarily something was, that was on my radar, but I knew I wanted to work in football. You know, as I got to Alabama, I really felt like I wanted to work in the NFL, be a scout. Um, so kind of getting to Alabama – I, I basically just kind of hit up as many people as I could, just trying to get my foot in the door. And uh, like I mentioned before, I started in the weight room, volunteering down there, uh, basically helping. We had workouts in the morning, had three different workout groups, just helping spot players, clean the racks, and you name it. And then um, after a few months of that, I kind of started going upstairs and say, hey, what can I do in recruiting? How can I help out? You know, and that at that time it was sorting through the – bins and bins of mail that we would get VHS tapes, DVDs, like all kinds of stuff. Cause we would, we would have to go through and log all that stuff because this was all pre huddle. So every DVD, every VHS tape we got, we would take it. We had a room that is now like two people's offices, but it was this huge room. It looked like half a blockbuster and it was just cases of DVDs and VHS with little numbers on it. We had a, a Excel sheet that had, you know, whatever number. So if they said, Hey, I need to go watch so-and-so we look it up and be like, all right, it's number 2457. You'd have to go in the room, hope that it's there, go find it, you put it out and then they put it in their VCR. So you're like a huddle librarian over there. And so like, that's like a foreign concept when I tell the interns now about that, about how the coaches used to watch on VCR, you know, are you like, you'd have a day where like, you know, say the old line coach wants to watch 20 guys. So you think about the work that has to go into finding the film for 20 different guys and not all of them are going to be there. So you got to hunt them down. Oh, there, I saw it on this person's desk or, Oh, I think I took it home or whatever it may be. So, so you'd have to get it and then you're carrying it, you know, trying not to drop them on as you're walking back to the coach's office. So it was crazy time. And then, yeah, like nobody can believe that now, but, and then, a year or two later, we kind of switched over to digital, converting DVDs, putting them on Exos, and then 
guess around 2010-2011, Huddle just came and it blew up very quickly. And uh, that was a game changer and a time saver for sure. But and then obviously we start doing doing things the way other people are doing now with Huddle and and kids uploading their game film and highlights and stuff, and that just made life so much easier. But but yeah, from so so I worked there. Uh, 2012 was my last season. Worked through spring of 13, graduate. And then get a chance to go to the NFL. Uh, like I mentioned before, Ed, Ed Manowitz was there. Him and our offensive line coach, uh, Jeff Stoutland, was there as well. I'd just gotten there. And so uh, having two guys that I knew helped get my foot in the door there. And then, um, yeah, then I started my NFL scouting career. And so definitely, definitely a fun time, you know, to be there with Chip Kelly and kind of the excitement that that brought. And, um, you know, being around guys like Mike Vick and Nick Foles and Fletcher Cox and Deshaun Jackson, Shady McCoy. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. It must have been pretty cool to see a guy like Fletcher Cox who you played against and mm-hmm. you saw a lot of. Did you guys recruit yeah. him too? Yeah, we did. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean it was it was very cool. I mean, being there and seeing Fletcher and kind of seeing his development, you know, over time. He was, you know, two hundred and forty pound defensive end in high school to Becoming, you know, this 300-pound, you know, one of the best three techniques in in all of football. So, yeah, yeah, really cool. And then, you know, having guys um, like that first draft class was really cool with Lane Johnson and, and Zach Ertz and Benny Logan and guys like that. Um, it was really cool seeing that group kind of join in with some older guys. And um, So, yeah, a lot, a lot of good characters up there for sure. And then you get a chance to – go back to college to work for Will Muschamp. What, uh, so kind of taking a step back, you, you said, you know, you fell in love with the NFL draft and you finally had an opportunity to do that. What led you to want to wanna go back into the college game and like, just talk me through that process. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was kind of, I was kind of in between places. You know, I mutually parted ways with the Eagles and, um, you know, it's kind of just part of the staff turnover there, which you know I think everybody that works in this business has been a part of. You know, so I wasn't really sure, um, but one thing I could see kind of on the horizon was was a growth and an expansion of of college personnel jobs. And one thing that I talked to a lot of um, people in college about is is kind of the way it was going, and and so I could I could see that. I saw an opportunity, and then I, I met with a. Uh, with Coach Muschamp and, you know, never met him before and immediately sat down and realized you know, his philosophy, um, the way he felt about players, the way he felt about evaluation, you know, the way he felt about his team and culture building. And everything. It was it was in line with what I believed. And uh, I thought it was a great opportunity to be around a, a tremendous guy and a tremendous leader and just a good football guy, good football evaluator. So, it was a really good fit, chance to kind of be back in the SEC and, and really take that job and then try to grow it, you know, in, into something else, um, something more, you know, grow the personnel department and the recruiting staff. And and so um, we did. We, we grew and we expanded and um, you know, the whole social media team grew. And I, I can't take credit for that, but uh, that was another right place, right time moment, but just being around some really good creators and, and uh, other people in the administration. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun being there the last few years. So, 
And I, I thought that was, that's a good word to use creators too, as far as how social media goes. And I thought you guys did a really good job of, you know, letting the country know that the facilities changed. Like you guys changed that place. Like walk me through how it was when you stepped on campus and how it was when you left and, and what, what really goes into building that program? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't necessarily like building the program from ground up, obviously, you know, South Carolina doesn't have the tradition as, you know, in Alabama or Georgia, but they had, you know, they had had some good years with Spurrier. Um, definitely a program that was on the rise at the time. And I think building the brand was the more important thing. You know, before I got there, there was one graphics person and I think as a school, they hadn't fully embraced social media as a platform to build their brand with, with their fan base, with the recruits. And so not too long after I got there, we hired a guy named Justin King, who was working in media, he wasn't working for a school, um, who did an incredible job creating content and videos. And he, he's from South Carolina, he went to South Carolina. So he was it was a win-win for us because he was already passionate about the school, about the brand, about campus, about, you know, our coaches, about our game days. So he had a very clear vision for what he wanted to do from the get-go and how he wanted to build our Twitter, how he wanted to build Instagram, how he wanted to release content on a, you know, a scheduled basis. And then he hired some really talented people around him that made his job even easier to just continuously pump out content to where I mean it came a point where our fans were like you know fiending for it they were expecting it you know the uniform reveals each week and if we didn't drop it right at the same time we did every week then they were like where's our uniform really you know things like that and, and then uh, also like we were building a brand new you know 50 million dollar facility from the ground up you know we were getting these big recruiting wins where we're signing guys you know four or five star guys um, that may have not gone to South Carolina in the previous years. And um, so, so yeah, all those things kind of culminated in just, you know, working together at the right time. But everybody was real cohesive. I mean, it was – it started with Coach Muschamp and his vision in terms of what he wanted to do, what he wanted to accomplish, and then everybody kind of doing their part to fulfill that vision. And I think that's really important. I mean, that's the thing we're talking about here, being a first-year staff with, with Coach Kiffin and new coaches and everything is – is really building the brand here at Ole Miss and, and supporting the, our head coach's vision. I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's what our job is, is we are support staff. So it's our job to support the vision of the head coach and the needs of everyone else around the building too. So It's that vision should dictate the structure and the schedule, which dictates the content or for, for us, the output. Right, exactly. The thing that I like, I, I listened to you on, on, a, on a South Carolina podcast where you were talking about, okay, so what are the factors for recruits? It's got to be the investment in the student athlete and the experience on campus. There's a lot of layers to all of that, but in terms of making it obvious for, you know, mm. that you care about the student athletes, that you're there for them, you know, obviously right now we're in a tough time in our country, a lot of like unrest and um, I think the important thing is being there for your players and having those uncomfortable conversations and letting them know that like we are the model for society, but how, uh, how do you look at it in terms of 
shaping that conversation with recruits and, and making sure that you're doing the right thing and building that trust factor? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think what's important, especially like for us, was we knew that we weren't going to be able to win all the logo battles. And I think you know what I mean when I say that. Like, you know, we're just not going to be able to compete with some of these brands consistently. What we needed to do was when we got kids on campus, we really needed to show them what we were all about. I think the biggest recruiting tool we had was our current players and getting them to, to talk about their experience with our coaches and our nutritionists and our training staff and our academic staff and our, you know, administration and support, um, getting them and really finding ways to show a recruit and their parents and their families how much we cared for our student athletes and the relationships, the, the actual relationships that our people had, not just our coaches, but I mean, I think, you know, the academic staff there was a, such a critical part in what we did both, you know, as a football team and, and also in recruiting because they spent so much time with the kids, the players, and they really went above and beyond to make sure that kids were fitting in and they were comfortable and could handle their workload. And um, I mean, I can't speak, enough about how good of a job they did and it really helped us because I think I think once we got kids on campus they took an official and they could see and hear the way that our academics people talked the way they treated our players and then hearing it firsthand from our players how they've been treated and how, how people around campus acted towards them I think it made parents and kids a lot more comfortable with you know what South Carolina is a really good place like, I don't care what other people say. I don't care what the negative recruiters come out and say, like, this is a really good place that I want to send my kid or that I want to go to. So th that was a critical piece for us was getting them on campus. To touch on the uh, negative recruiting piece, if somebody's negative recruiting, that means they don't have enough good positive things to talk about. That's exactly. my view on it. Exactly. So as far as topic of the week, the role of the general manager, the art of team building. Uh, it's a new, it's a new title. It's a new position. It's the in vogue thing. So uh, you've probably heard it from a million people, but congrats on being the first at Ole Miss to do it. But have you found yourself being in a lot more of an admin type of uh, position now, as far as coordinating a bigger picture and how different is the role that you're in now versus the previous one you held at South Carolina? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a weird time to adjust with, with COVID and everything going on and you know, doing things over Zoom. So I don't know if I fully um, realized exactly what, you know, this next year is going to look like for me and this, this new job is going to look like. But, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, a lot of it is, is the day-to-day -day admin, the budget, the facilities, the um, things like that, you know, meeting with um, our other associate ADs, whether it's over budget, you know, compliance, things like that, dealing with things on a much, you know, bigger picture level than what I dealt with just working in recruiting. But at the same time, you know, when I met with Coach Kiffin for the first time and talked about this job, I, you know, he, he kind of put it in better terms than I could. You know, he said it's a lot like when an offensive coordinator becomes a head coach and he still wants to, you know, install his offense and call the play. So, that's kind of the way I look at it is, you know, my 
my main priority is going to be recruiting and getting, you know, our recruiting staff equipped and developed to, to kind of carry out the vision we have for, for, you know, how we're going to do recruiting. And, and so that, that's, that's my main task. So that's, that's the area that I have to make sure that I'm managing my time to devote enough efforts to. Um, so that first and foremost, that's, that's my first responsibility is, is our recruiting and personnel department and kind of all, all of those things that that touches, you know, whether it's evaluation or on-campus recruiting or um, creative media or compliance. So um, th those departments are really key in, in what I'm doing right now. When you were formulating kind of your staff and I know a lot, there were a handful of people that were already there when you took over, but what are some things that you look for in guys that you want to have in your department? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's a, I, I was able to bring one person with me and then there was a handful of people that were here and in place. And I think the biggest thing was just kind of getting all those people moving in the right direction, you know, trying to more clearly define everyone's role and what, who's working on what. And, um, but yeah, the biggest thing that I look for is just people that, that are hungry and are willing to take initiative on things. And um, especially now in this new role, uh, I just don't have the time to, to do some of the things. So I have to delegate. I have to, I have to trust that as I pass things off, guys are going to take the ball and run with it. And so that has been, uh, that has been the biggest thing is like just finding people that are hungry, that are willing to work, they're going to take the ball and run with it, have great attention to detail um, that are going to, you know, pass things out to the coaches that I don't have to double check, um, you know, that, that things are going to be done and I don't have to worry that they're going to get done. And, and you talk about it, like <laughs> you don't have the time to do. I, I, I feel you on that because coming up through the ranks, as far as being an intern, your first job was what combing through the tape and finding players what's your favorite part of the recruiting process? Is it more of finding the guys or really diving deep into the weeds once you've kind of combed your list down to a select number of guys? I, I like finding the guys, especially the under the radar guys. I mean, you, know, you talk about recruiting wins and things and everybody always wants to talk about the five-star guys that you've been around or you've signed and the recruitment of those guys. And was it crazy? And, I, I love finding the diamond in the rough. I mean, the guys that seemingly like not a lot of other people really wanted or, or maybe it was somebody that we didn't even know if we wanted. We had them in camp and they, they just lit it up, and you know. And, and then like seeing those guys, you know, grow and mature as, as players and, and impact the game. And it's just like, man, I remember when we watched that kid and he was – you know, he was a triple option quarterback and we said, Hey, can this guy play safety? And then he did. And you know, things like that. It's just, I love finding the diamond in the rough. It's kind of, I, I love talking about the guys that nobody wants to talk about, you know, nobody asks about. And so those, those guys are the fun guys to me. Who's your favorite diamond in the rough that, that you've come across that you were able to see him play as, as college career, whether it was Alabama or, or South Carolina? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the guys, R.J. Roderick, um, not a whole lot of people know, but he's starting safety at South Carolina now. He's, like I talked about before, he's triple option quarterback in high school. He ran for yeah, 1,800 yards or something his junior year, but you saw him play like four snaps of defense, and you just 
you were kind of guessing if he could play. But, yeah, he was a guy not a lot of people wanted. He didn't have a ton of offers. I think he was our lowest-rated guy in that class. And um, came in right away and um, started playing as a freshman and then became a starter and um, started most of last year, fought through some injuries. But he's going to be a heck of a player. Um, you know, they got Israel Mukwamu, who was a guy that had the three interceptions in the Georgia game last year, was big, tall, safety, kind of gangly, um, wasn't really sure. He played at multiple high schools. His family had moved. And, um, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily an under-the-radar guy, but he was a guy that we felt like he could really fit, you know, in terms of what we were looking for in a big, long press corner. And, and so, you know, it's really – fun to see that guy, you know, really take off last year and, and get the, you know, have the game like he did versus Georgia, you know, kind of a, a big, you know, monumental win for us. And, um, but yeah, it was definitely a guy that the high school tape, you know, kind of is, is what it is. And you kind of had to do some guesswork. Hey, could this guy do what we want? And, um, but it's really fun to see him play, you know, and see him grow as a player. With the, like with both those guys in particular, I'm I'm sure there was moments in the recruiting process where you realized like this is a guy that fits us like this is a guy that is the type of kid that we want in our program because you mentioned earlier how your 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 players the the locker room will always be your best advocate in the recruiting process and you as a recruiting GM as a director you've got to make sure that you're bringing guys to the table that live out or that can be a part of the vision that your head coach has. So what kind of processes do you put in place um, or questions do you ask when you're trying to figure out if a kid is a fit or do you rely solely on the position coach? Like what, how, how do you go about that? Yeah, that, that's been a hard part for me, you know, coming from the NFL where, you're a scout and you're on the road, you're going into schools, you're talking to multiple sources, you know, and you're, you're seeing them practice and then you're seeing them in an all-star game, you're meeting with them at the combine and you're getting so much exposure and so much information um, about the players that you're looking at. Whereas in working at the college level, you're dealing with high school kids who, who are probably the best athlete at their high school. And the coach wants to sell and he wants to see his kid play in the SEC. And, and so you've, you've really got – and then also the other part is, is I'm not going out on the road. I'm not really talking to these kids. You know, I'm not um, putting them through an interview where I'm trying to figure out them as a person. I think you have to rely a lot on your position coaches and the area coaches who are recruiting them to, to develop relationships and really get to know these kids and – you know, we were talking about it today, you know, we got to be aware of the signs, you know, whether it's kids changing high schools or, you know, things they're doing on Twitter, things like that. Like, like we've got to pay attention to these things because those are going to be big indicators of character or it's just going to be indicators of things we probably need to ask questions on or, or at least feel a kid out on. So I think it's so much harder to, to figure out a, a high school kid, how he's going to act when he, you know, gets away from home and, his family and he moves to college campus, how's he going to take on that new responsibility? You know, and I mean, I know for me and I'm sure for you too, Alex, like you change a lot as a person from 17 to 22, you know, it's just, 
So you're never going to get it right. I think you got to know that you're never going to get it right, but you're always going to hope for the best. I think you, know, you talked about some of the current players being around and stuff like that's always pretty critical for us in terms of having guys, you know, cause now kids are coming on campus multiple times. And so they're doing a lot of unofficial or they're doing, say they're doing a spring official visit and then they're coming back unofficially for games and, and other week, you know, weekends and stuff like that. And, and so there's a lot of times where your current players get to be around recruits. And a lot of times those guys will tell you, Hey man, like this guy's a little weird. You know, he's, he's different, you know, or he, I don't really know. Like, I don't really know if this guy's one of us. And they don't have to say much. You just kind of know, okay, like, maybe we should think about this. You know, maybe we should talk about it. or Because um, I, I just – I really think the players, like, you can't fool those guys. I think they know at the end of the day who they can rely on and who they can't, you know, like whether you're doing um, – like one year at South Carolina we did a draft, like, for accountability groups. And so we had, you know, 10 team leaders and they had to draft 10 players to be on their team. Like they know very quickly who they should draft to be on their accountability group. And it's funny watching them draft and seeing, you know, who, who the last few guys were because it's consensus. They all know, like, I don't want that guy on my team. Well, I don't want him on my team. So, uh, yeah, I really think they're really in tune with it. And you got to listen to them. And you got to figure out ways to to create that environment where they can be around recruits and, um, because th those guys are going to tell you a lot more um, than you'll probably get from having a, a recruiting conversation with a kid. Yeah. And just to, to jump in the combo, this is why I love August being dead, like nor in normal years, right? Like, obviously, like, I hope we get some type of ability to recruit a little bit. But the best part about it being dead in August is that we get to focus on our team and, like, I can grab a plate and sit next to somebody on our team or just, you know, talk shop or catch up with the player. And then when we do have official visits, it's easier to go to them and say, Hey, what did you think about the guy? Because it's not just, you know, transactional. You're able to have that honest feedback because like you said, like those guys are going to have a, a, a good beat on what's real, what's fake from, from like the recruits that are coming on campus. But I wanted to touch on, you said indicators of character, you know, be aware of the signs. If you were talking to a recruit, what are some signs that you're looking for that as a recruit, they could focus on, okay, I'm going to develop those components of myself as a person, because there's so much more than just the film. Yeah. It's, it's funny because coach Kiffin actually mentioned it not too long ago where he was, he had talked to several kids on the phone uh, kind of in a row and, and he really liked a couple of the kids and he was talking about how much juice and energy they had. And I think he had FaceTime with one and he's like, man, this guy gave great eye contact. He, he had a lot of good energy and, you know, he was asking good questions and he kind of said, you know, those are the types of kids that we need if we're going to beat the people in the SEC and you know, we're going to need these types of kids that are, um, the bright, energetic um, leaders that bring some juice and, and have a presence about them. You know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the dullards. It's the ones that, that don't give great eye contact that you got to pull stuff out of that, you know, that you got to be more aware of, you know, I think anytime there's a kid who, who's interested in asking questions about 
what's you know what's your um, communication school like what's your education school like or asking questions about the roster or the players or you know what how, what position he's anytime that they're engaged in thoughtful intentional conversation I always think that's a really good sign um, to have a you know 17 18 year old that's thinking that way um, is good but yeah I think having guys with good energy good presence to them because those are going to be the guys that people in the locker room gravitate towards and typically are the types of guys that will do the things to be a high achiever. Correct. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome point too. So you mentioned it as far as kind of the challenge of being in a recruiting role and the fact that we can't go on the road uh, and the difference between that and being a scout. What are some things that you were able to take from the NFL level and bring back to the college game? I think the importance of information and keeping track of a lot of information, you know, like um, we had in-house database, you know, software developers at the Eagles and they were able to, able to build a very elaborate, extensive database. <clears throat> and so taking that and trying to, obviously you're fixed a little bit with what your school uses, you know, for compliance. I mean, you've, you know, whether it's, you know, front rush, jump forward, um, exos, whatever it may be, like um, everybody's kind of tied to whatever their school uses. Um, but figuring out ways to keep data points better, you know, uh, track height, weight, hand arm, um, you know, all the, the contact info, the communication information. Um, so keeping track of things like that, um, organizing your film, your database, um, all of those things are so critical at the NFL level um, to manage all the data, all the reports, all the grades, all the the information that you have. Um, so yeah, bringing that back to the uh, to this level um, was something I wanted to do, and then also just taking the time to to measure, you know, hand, arm, height, weight every time we get kids on campus, getting those critical measurements, and uh, yeah, th those are probably the biggest things. Then also, also just kind of bring what I've learned, you know, in terms of you know, working players out, running a workout, um, you know, knowing how to set up camp and, and get a good evaluation on guys at camp. You know, the critical factor sheet, putting together manuals, actual scouting manuals and things like that are things, you know, the NFL does at a really high level. So being able to bring some of that back has, has been invaluable. Yeah. And you talked about organizing your film database and, it's a lot easier now with, with huddle and the playlist that you can create. It's, it's amazing, right? Like I'm in the season and I'm able to focus my entire Sunday to just cut up our priority seniors and our commits. And I have my staff working on juniors so that Monday through Wednesday, I'm just burning through a bunch of tape. Talk me through the difference between highlight tapes and point of attack tapes, because I know you live in that world and I know that's really important to you. How, how would you define the differences as far as how they should be utilized within a recruiting department? Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, like I, I'm kind of the first one to admit that I've had a changing philosophy over time with highlight tapes and point of attack tapes. And stuff. So, um, and 
when I was at Alabama, we were kind of dealt with whatever film was given to us, whether it's VHS, DVDs, and then we get in the huddle, but we're still cutting up game tape. This was kind of before kids were all making their own highlights on huddle. So we were mainly going to huddle just to get games, pulling them down and then cutting up the games and making basically kind of a good, bad, ugly tape. And, and then in the NFL, the point of attack tapes are critical. So, you know, if you're looking at a receiver, you're really going to look at all targets, you know, whether it's catch, whether it's drop, it doesn't matter. You're going to look at all targets and you're going to look at everybody's all targets. And you're going to, you know, a DB, you're going to look at all the times he was targeted, thrown at open field tackles, things like that. So you're seeing plenty of, of good plays and bad plays. When I got back to South Carolina or back in college when I went to South Carolina, I was thinking in the same school of thought that we're going to just want good, bad uglies, you know, and, and to me, it's not going to matter whether we're overly, overly critical on guys or whatever. Well, what I ran into is we're cutting up, you know, guys' 10th grade film or junior film. And, you know, one of the first five plays is him giving up a big touchdown or whatever, which is not a big deal to me because I'm going to watch over, you know, the course of the season. You're going to see, you know, dozens of plays. Like, that's just one play out of, you know, 100 plays that we have. Well, what I realized was – we really have to work, and this is true for a lot of things, but you have to work with the end user in mind. So that's your assistant coaches, your head coach. And what I realized is, hey, especially for guys that are younger, so your your sophomores and juniors, and this is the philosophy that I still have to this day, you know, that your sophomore and junior tape, let's focus on what they do well. You know, let's – Let's really push the good plays at the beginning. Let's let's not do 100 plays. Let's just have 50 plays. And the first half of them, the first 30 or 40, let those just be good plays, you know. And let's not try to kill a kid just because he missed a tackle or he, you know, fumbled or he gave up a sack, whatever it may be. Like, let's not kill a kid early. And um, that process has worked out better, you know, just in terms of keeping kids alive. Because the last thing you want – a coach to do is see one bad play and that be burned in his mind that, man, this kid can't play, you know? Yeah. It ends up being a really good player. So um, that's the philosophy I have now. And then moving forward, like into their senior year, that's when you can be more critical, especially when you get down to, we've got five guys on the board at this position and we're only going to take two of these guys. Which guy, which guy do we want to take? Um, so I, I think that is the time to be critical is, is as you get closer and closer to signing day is when you can start really looking at, you know, every data point, every measurement, every clip, you know, go back to camp footage and, and really, you know, look at the full body of work and say, all right, which guy is really better than the other. But I think early on you want to filter through as many guys as you can. But, and it's not just trying to hide the bad plays, but like I said before, it's, it's more of having a mindset of focusing on what they do well. Yeah. And focusing on what they do well, I think a lot of recruits and coaches that are advising recruits or that coach kids that are being recruited, I think people could use some words of advice on how to construct better highlight tapes because there's some bad ones out there. And sophomore has been spelled the same way my whole life, but for some reason – 
that's that's the one that gets them. Sophomore is the most difficult word to spell when it comes to highlight tape. So if you could just kind of drop some advice on do's and don'ts with highlight tapes. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think keeping it simple on your, your intro, you know, the, uh, you know, just, just say who you are and what high school you go to and what number you're wearing, you know, like it doesn't need to be this whole preamble about your resume. Yeah. Take over and you, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, boozy lyrics you want to put on there whoever's popular right now i don't know forgive me but uh wow you're really old (laughs) but uh you know like anything like that like just just let's cut it down like let's just do the simple and then you know from a just pure huddle standpoint like some of the the freeze frames and the arrows and the words and the comic book style stuff like i'm just like oh my gosh like can we just get through this that's why we like to make our own just because to cut all that stuff out um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is putting your best place first. I mean, I, I, I am surprised how many kids I watch, like, especially like with COVID going on, I've watched a lot more just on huddle than I would like our cutups on Exos. And it's amazing how many kids, like I'll watch them. And then two, three minutes into their highlight, I'm watching plays. And I'm like, man, this is one of the best plays I've seen. I've watched, you know, 20 plays. And it's like, why didn't he put this at the beginning, you know? So I think for each position it's different, but like knowing like what is really good, you know, what's really spectacular, you know, that you can put at the beginning that are going to make coaches like, cause those first, you know, you know how it is, Alex, like those first three, four plays, those are going to be what grab the coach's attention or he's just going to like say next, you know, move on next guy. So it's kind of like what you said, like if you had that one just kind of nah play on a highlight, it's right. going to be seared in his memory. And he's just like, yeah. Yeah. Like, it, like if you have a running back who say he breaks like a 15 or 20 yard run where he may make a guy miss out of the backfield, but then he runs, he like just kind of jogs out of bounds or whatever. Like that's going to be a killer, you know, like, or if it's a, you know, for coach Muschamp, it was always defensive guys who stopped their feet on contact. So if he had one tackle where, he stopped his feet and he kind of drugged the guy down and that was going to be it. This guy, this guy's not tough. He doesn't love contact, you know? So, um, so yeah, like I, I think kids just, you know, they don't know that they don't know. They're like, Oh, this is a good play or This was a good, you know, I thought this was a good play. Well, no, like there are things we're looking for at each position that would be good to see from you. you know? So, right. But it, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's not an exact science, but. Yeah, definitely try to put your best plays you know, first. That's, that's the biggest thing. So when it comes to your interns and developing those guys, what advice do you give them? And I know you talked about you focus on, focus on what they do well. Let's do 50 plays. Let's put the good plays at the start. But what are, what are some words of advice for guys that are, that are new to the game that are trying to, to really build up that catalog and it doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's the thing that people have to realize is that it's, it's going to take time to get really confident in knowing what you're seeing and being able to project it. Cause that that's a big part of it. That's why it's so different than the NFL because there's, you know, the body changes so much and the mentality like you were talking about, but what advice do you normally give to your interns and assistants? 
Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing I try to tell them is, you know, just basically putting in the work and um, whether it's, it's doing some kind of study or breakdown for, you know, the, the assistant coach they may be working for, or um, just watching film, um, you know, watching, watching our team, you know, I think that's always critical is kind of watching our team. So say if like you're, you're the recruiting intern that's kind of working with the running backs coach, you should know our running backs as good as anybody to know, all right, this kid I'm watching, like he's not as good as our first running back, but I think he's definitely better than our second guy, or he's got better hands than this guy, or he can block better than this guy. Um, so I think that's what allows you to like really sort through and know whether a guy's good enough for, for us to offer you know, or to pass up to the coach. Um, so I think knowing your own team, you know, watching other guys in the NFL, kind of like we talked about, like watching NFL guys, high school highlights and kind of comparing, doing scout schools with each other. Um, the other thing I think is just, you know, be available. Um, I say that to the guys all the time, like be available. Be, and that just means like be around, like have a good attitude um, and listen. Like I hate it. I love for young guys to have an opinion, but I I hate it when they are giving their opinion and they don't necessarily know what they're talking about or they're kind of going about it the wrong way. And what I have found with like the guys that they kind of like, maybe they sit in the staff room and watch film with the coaches and they just sit there and they listen and they listen for, for months and years, even like, and then they start sharing their opinion or then they, they build trust with the coaches. And then it's like, Hey, you know, what do you think of this guy? Okay. Well, you know, like th those are the guys that I think have been better interns, better workers, guys that have moved on. Like it's the guys that come in and say, well, I thought this guy stunk or, you know, I thought this guy was really good. I thought he was better than so-and-so. And then the coaches put on the tape and it's like, yeah, I don't think you're right. You know, like, so I think, I think just listening, just like, it's the whole two ears, one mouth thing. Like those guys just need to listen and be receptive and soak up as much as they can from the other people in the room that they're around. And there are times and there are avenues where they can be more vocal and be more opinionated. And I want them to have opinions. I want them to have strong opinions and conviction on what they're saying. But at the same time, I, I want them to, to know what they're talking about and have that skill set developed further. Um, and I don't want them to be afraid to be wrong either. It's just I want them to be intentional with the words that they say. Yeah. I think what what's critical about your advice is the fact that you've got to know your team. And you've probably heard this a million times because you've actually worked in the league. I, I, I have not worked in the league. But what wins in the league? What wins in our conference? And knowing what that level of talent looks like and knowing that you got to put the work in to see what that looks like. Like for me, for instance, like I'm trying to, I'm still learning how to manage my day as best as possible, but studying conference USA, because it's a transition from the American conference, which is a completely different league to conference USA. Cause this year was really a kind of a, an adjustment for me. You've had the chance of working the sec for a number of years. And, and that's probably been awesome for you to really learn, not only what plays, but geography and kind of the landscape and different pipelines and where different teams are recruiting. 
So I know that you kind of approach it with like the six hour recruiting radius and like your bordering states are kind of where you want to make your hay. Um, and just kind of going through your, your stat line at, at South Carolina, you and coach Muschamp and your staff did an amazing job of winning in state. Like, you know, in 2017, you get the number one and number two player in South Carolina and 2018 top five player, but 19 and 2020, you both had, again, the number one and the number two rated players in the state of South Carolina. So maybe if you want to talk about kind of what it took to get guys like Jordan Birch to stay in state or whether you want to talk about kind of recruiting pipelines and how you establish those. Um, I'm just curious because that's, that's awesome to like see kind of you preach a kind of a philosophy and then follow through with it. Yeah, I mean, just to talk on, you know, South Carolina, especially the last two classes, and I think we, I think we batted 100% in terms of guys we offered in state staying there, but from a little bit bigger standpoint, like, um, I think you and I have talked about this before, but like, yeah, we were really big on our, what we considered our footprint, you know, and that was really North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. And then we would kind of spot recruit beyond that. Um, we would want to try – we really made an effort the last couple of years to get kids out of Virginia, D.C., Maryland, that area. I think we signed three kids the last two years or three kids in the last three classes, something like that, from up there. But, but really, we're doing most of our work in the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida, and that's it. And I think the good thing with Coach Muschamp was he said that, like, from the time he got there, and it was something we really stuck to. I mean, we we obviously we went national with uh, quarterbacks because that's kind of the nature of the position. So, you know, two years ago we get Helinski out of California. Um, but but for the most part, I mean, we're we're going to spend most of our effort in our footprint because those are the kids we feel like we could get on campus. You know, and and like I mentioned before, getting kids on campus was probably the biggest win we could get. Um, so, so that's, that's, we didn't waste our time. We didn't spend our efforts trying to get guys that were national recruits that had to fly over, you know, 10 other power five schools to get to us. We really wanted to focus on guys that could, could make day trips to South Carolina. And, um, and so that, that thought process worked out for us. Um, the other thing with in-state kids the last few years is just, it's it's obviously tough having a a really good team like Clemson in your state that is rolling there. You know, they're doing things at such a high level. Um, but the, the silver lining for us was that they're, they're attracting national recruits and they're kind of going outside the state. Whereas we could really hone in and focus on these in-state kids and get a ton of information on them, see them a lot, you know, go see them practice, go see them in spring ball have them come to camp, have them do seven on seven. And so, you know, we always felt like we had a ton of information on the in-state kids and, and, and having a lot of exposure to them. And South Carolina's, you know, just from a size standpoint is not a large state. So you're able to get in, and Columbia is centrally located in the state. So you're able to get to every part of the state within a couple hours. And so um, being able to kind of cast a wide net just within our state was, was huge. And having a lot of coaches and a lot of people um, involved in each kid's recruitment was critical. And um, like I mentioned before, having Coach Muschamp and the way he recruits and the work ethic he has, like 
it made all the difference in getting those in-state kids for sure. Well, and what I hear in that is while Clemson is aiming at a bunch of guys that they're probably having to spend a lot more time in Cali and, you know, other states, you're allocating a more concentrated amount of resources on those guys, which is, which is definitely what puts it, puts it over the top. What was there a moment just specifically like with Javon Kinlaw, obviously he was drafted in the first round this past year. And I know that he had, he went Juco route because academically he was working through that, but just talk me through, like, was there a moment when you realized this guy is a first round type of talent? Like, this guy could play anywhere in the country. We've got somebody really special. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, Javon is a player that I got really close with over the last three years. Um, he had signed from junior college right when I started. And so we kind of got there around the same time, got to know him. And he was a 340, 350 pound guy who had, was really athletic in high school. Had kind of got overweight in junior college and, and needed to to learn and adjust how to be, you know, a college student, a college athlete. And so, um, I don't know. I mean, he was so raw when he first got there, just in terms of technique and hand placement and block awareness. And um, but I think I don't know if it was one moment specifically, but kind of the second half of his first season there in 2017 he would have one or two clips a game where you're like, man, this guy, like, he's really got something to him. Like he can, he can move. He was, he was losing weight. His body was looking better. Like by the end of that season, I mean, it was like, man, like this guy looks like a Greek God. I mean, he had, he was 300 pounds with a six pack and, you know, it's just, you don't see a lot of guys like that that have, you know, that big lower body like him or the long arms. And um, so I think, Really, is that it was the end of that 17 season where, like, man, like the light bulb has come on for this guy, and he is really going to be a really good player. Yeah. And, and I'll just say personally, like, it's been so, like I talked about earlier, kind of seeing guys go through the recruiting process and then seeing them play. Like, it has been so fulfilling to see a guy like that go from getting there that summer and then becoming a first-round pick. And he – deserves everything that he's getting because he has worked so hard at his body, his craft. I mean, he has spent so much time to be great. And so it's been really cool to see that and kind of be a part of his journey. It's, it's been easily one of the most fulfilling parts of my entire football career. I love the way you phrase that because I find myself saying that a lot because it is just that you we're just on for the ride. It's not us making anything happen like these players have the talent it's a matter of them us being able to have the opportunity to be on that journey with them I think that's the coolest part of our job is seeing those guys that that come through and develop how do you study your team's tape like what what time of the day are you setting aside in season like what day of the week is it like how do you how do you find time to to do that with the the volume of film and managing your staff Typically, it's Sunday afternoon is we kind of when I do it because, you know, Sundays, coaches are up there grading the film all day. And one thing we haven't mentioned was, like, part of my job at South Carolina was was kind of doing an advanced report 
kind of working a week ahead on our opponents and just doing, you know, a quick write up on all their starters and a few notes here and there. And uh, that was something that I would give to Coach Mushamp every Sunday. Well, my job, like what I would do on Sunday mornings is come in and check out, you know, whoever we're playing the next week, check out like their last game, see if there's any updates, see if anybody got hurt, and then print out the advance, give it to coach. And then second half of the day, rewatch our game from the day before. Because if I didn't watch it on Sunday, it was going to be very hard to get to, you know, throughout the course of the week. But I think time management for this for working in football is critical. But I think for us, like, I think you you have to watch your own team. You have to watch the games. You have to know how players are developing, progressing, who's playing well, who's not. You have to stay on top of that. That is one of the most important things you can do. And so making that a priority, having a set time to do that each week, especially in season when things can get busy, that is critical. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, this this is awesome. I got three last questions for you. And I'll let you finally leave the office. I know you've been there since 6 a.m. today. What is one piece of advice that you would give to recruits, parents, and coaches separately? Like for for recruits, what would you tell them? Uh, For recruits, wow. I mean, I could probably give them a lot of advice depending on what day you ask me, but – you know, I think the biggest thing, and I don't, I don't know if it's like one thing I can put my finger on, but it's like maybe caring less what people think of you, caring less what you put on social media or how many likes you get or things like that, and just really worrying about playing, you know. And I think kids get caught up in how many offers they have, um, you know, putting out their top 10 or their top 20 or, um, you know, what their rankings are on the websites, like, I think just just play well, you know, just focus on playing well and the rest will take care of itself. And then the other part is like the other part of that too is I think back to my time in high school, like my senior year, you know, really all of high school football, but just having fun with my friends, you know, like playing games with my friends. And like a lot of NFL players will tell you that like high school football was the most fun they had out of high school, college and NFL. And so I think, I think kids today, like they just need, they need a break from social media, whatever it may be. Like they just need to enjoy where they're at in life. You know, it's, yeah, it's not, it shouldn't be a stressful time, which I know recruiting adds stress to their lives. I get it. We, we cause, we are the perpetrators in a lot of that, but yeah, I think just finding time to, to enjoy yourself with, with your friends because it's never going to be like that again. I mean, you can have fun in college. You're going to have friends in college. Like, you get a chance to go play in the NFL. Obviously, you're going to have fun in the NFL. You're going to make friends. But there's just something so innocent and so pure about playing high school football that um, that you can't ever get back. What would you tell parents? Parents? Oh, man. Uh, what parents, the parents of the four-star kid that we, we want or the parents of the walk-on that uh, hit me up every day? Oh, man. Uh, uh, you know, the parents, I mean, it, was, it would kind of be the same thing, you know, of terms of just, like, try to not add stress to your kid's life. Like, let them enjoy being 17 or 18 years old. 
Um, and um, yeah, I mean, that would, that would really be it. And high school coaches. High school coaches. I, for one, think high school coaches are some of the most important people in the world, but like in just in the sports world, like because I, I am here because I had really good high school coaches that believed in me and instilled in me good values. And I think there are a lot of people that are the same way that um, that have high school coaches that they really looked up to and really um, needed at certain times in their life. And so um, I don't know if I would give them any advice, but I would just say thank you for the job that you do because you know, especially as, as coaches' salaries get so high and uh, if talking in terms of high, uh, college coaches and NFL coaches, like their salaries are getting so high. High school coaches are still working for pennies on the dollar, you know, and so the job that they do, the time that they put in, um, you know, taking kids to camps and to visits and, and really like taking time, sacrificing their time from their day to whatever it may be, because these high school coaches, they have to do laundry and they have to, they have to fulfill every role that people, you know, here we have, you know, 40, 50 person staff, they're doing the jobs of almost all of those people. And so, yeah, I don't know if I'd give any advice. I would just say thank you for everything that they do. I think you speak on behalf of pretty much everybody in the game that, that really feels that because I mean, th those are the, the formative years, you know, for, for all of us that played ball growing up, like you, you can remember like vividly, a word that was said or, or, you know, a coach that, cause you can, so much is spoken and, and words are powerful at that age, you know, cause you're really, you've got the platform to really speak truth and life into, into these kids. So dude, on like, this is awesome. I've got three pages of notes. I'm sure our listeners probably want to follow up with you too. So where can we get you on Twitter and social media? at Matt Lindsay FB on Twitter. You can hit me up, give me a follow, um, you know, hop in my messages. I, I, I'll hit you back. I mean, I think that's kind of how we, we connected a couple of years ago was I think yep. you hit me on Twitter and I hit you back and, and we called and caught up and got to talk for a while. So yeah, I'm, I'm always, I'm always interested in talking to people that are, you know, wanting, wanting to work in the personnel field or the people that do work in the personnel field that want to grow. And so, um, I'm here because people like that believed in me and spent time with me and answered my questions and talked to me. So I'm, uh, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody out there. Uh, and thanks for having me, Alex. I mean, this has been great. This is a uh, kind of always fun to go down memory lane and, and talk about things. And, um, so I really enjoy you having me today. Absolutely. I enjoyed listening. And, um, yeah, just to fall back on what you said, like this was not just a random follow and a, and a message. This was like right after you got, DPP of the year by football scoop, you know, you were hot stuff. And, and, uh, I'm like, you know what, you know, why not, why not hit him up? And, uh, I do appreciate it. It's been fun getting to know you. I know that, that you, uh, had a chance to cross paths with one of our recruiting assistants, Daniel Gain, yeah. uh, with the Eagles. And, um, he speaks very highly of you too. So keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, hopefully, uh, I can get back in the office like you at some point. But uh, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex.